And Samuel feels a little bit rejected because Samuel is a prophet, but he's also the last of the judges. Um, I don't know if you guys remember the judges, but those are the guys that you have Moses, your big guy. He was not necessarily a big guy, but he was a prominent figure who comes in and rescues the Israelites from the um, Egyptian uh, rule. He takes them through the desert. He gets them to the promised land. Um, but they are constantly unfaithful. <laughs> um, so he will send, they will say, we're hungry. He will send manna and, um, what are quartos? Um, quails, thank you. <laughs> uh, he would send manna and quails, and they would, after two or three weeks, they would say, yes, but I'm, great, thanks for the food, but can we have a little diversity? So they would always find a way to complain. And when they get to the promised land, the first time they are supposed to go, they send people in, and t they send 12 guys in, and all 12 return, and only two of them think that it's possible to take over the land. The other 10 say, yo, these guys are big. Look, it's great, the place is great, but we don't think we're gonna be able to do it. And for that lack of faith, I mean, this is, these are the people that have been rescued by God, who separated a, an ocean for them to be able to walk through, who was with them in the desert, who gave them food, gave them water, who provided them their every need, and now that they, he, now that they're asked to have faith, they say, no, 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 we don't think we should try this. So the, the effect is they spend another 40 years in the desert. Um, they're time out. And Moses doesn't take them into the promised land. Joshua does. And he, as they take the promised land, every now and again, a judge would stand up. Somebody who's filled with the Holy Spirit to, to fulfill a specific task. And Samuel is the last of those judges and the first of the prophets. And he feels a little, it's a little personal when they come to him and say, listen, we love the fact that God is our God, but we would like to have a king as well. Why would they like to have a king? Because they want to Ouch. That was a heavy table moment. Shame. Okay, so they they say we want to look like other nations who have kings. So thank you God, thank you Samuel, but we want a king. And he feels um, personally attacked by that. He feels rejected. And God tells him, you are not the only one they've rejected. They've rejected me. And he says, but go and tell them that's fine. We will give them a king. The interesting thing, and what I want us to look at today, is um, after they've asked for a king, God says, they've rejected me. They've rejected you. But I will give them a king. But go and tell them when you say, yes, I've heard you, I will give you a king. Go and tell them the following. Listen to them, give them, but give them strict warnings and explain how their kings will treat them. Samuel told the people who were asking him for a king everything that the Lord had said to him. This is how your king will treat you, Samuel explained. He will make soldiers of your sons, 
Some of them will serve in his war chariots, others in his cavalry, and others will run before his chariots. He will make some of them officers in charge of a thousand men, and others in charge of fifty men. Your sons will have to plough his fields, harvest his crops, and make his weapons and the equipment for his chariots. Your daughters will have to make perfumes for him and work as his cooks and his bakers. He will take your best fields, vineyards, and olive groves and give them to his officials. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your grapes for his court officers and other officials. He will take your servants and your best cattle and donkeys and make them work for him. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that time comes, you will complain bitterly because of your king, whom you yourselves chose, but the Lord will not listen to your complaints. The people paid no attention to Samuel, surprise, but said, no, we want a king, so that we will be like other nations with our own king to rule us and to lead us out to war and to fight our battles. Samuel listened to everything they said and then went and told it to the Lord. The Lord answered, Do what they want and give them a king. Then Samuel told all the men of Israel to go back home. They've asked for a king. Almost as a last-ditch attempt, as a fatherly figure, God says, Okay, guys, you want a king, but you might not be thinking about the logical implications of having a king. Because the moment you have a king, you are going to be competition for those kingdoms around you. Not just that, you are going to have to um, facilitate the king to be able to be a king. So now, where once there was equality, between all 12 tribes, now you will have a king. That king will choose leaders. Those leaders will have a preferred position above everybody else. For those structures to to come in place, you will have to give up your things. So much so that in the end you will feel like you have become slaves. And yet, they still choose to say, no, we want a king, please. We, we like the fact that you're our God, but we would love to have a physical representation of our strength, of our nationhood in a king. And the irony of it all is that this becomes, in the end, Nick talked about it last week for a while, but he mentioned it. So they want... They've got God who has proven to them again and again that he is faithful, that he will provide, that he is all they need, and yet they want something physical. They want a physical permanent reminder. But the moment you have a physical permanent reminder, it is a human. And if there's one thing that humans do is we make mistakes. Because we are selfish. And I think when we look at the different kings, you will see that come out a lot. But so they want a physical reminder of who they are. And God gives it to them. How amazing is God that even though he tells them this is not the best of ideas, when they say we want it, he says, okay, I'll give it to you. And we're going to get back to what he does further. But... 
I want you guys to see a development. Um, because in the end, what started out as a faith in God, who rescued us from Egypt, who is with us, in a, he was in a column of fire, in a column of smoke, he guided them, to, he gave them food, he provided them, he helped them conquer all of the different nations to give them Israel, for a space for each of the 12 tribes. But now they have a king. And in the end, their faith, at the end of, as, as at the end of the years, the last kingdom, Jerusalem fell in 586, before Christ. Jerusalem fell for the final time when Babylon came in and took it over. But by that time, their faith was called a Zion theology. Why Zion? Mount Zion is, of course, Jerusalem, right? Their faith stood on two pillars. As long as there is a king from the line of David, from the um, line of Judah, on the throne, and as long as the temple stands, we know that God is with us. How much has changed from the beginning? From a God who is with them, who provides for them what they need, an organic faith becomes a structured faith. Becomes a faith that is not, I want to be, it's a little dramatic, but I want to say that it's almost not about God. It's about physical things that we can see. We can see the king on the throne, we can see the temple. A temple that was built to represent the presence of God with the Israelites, where he was always present. They wanted to say, but we need a place that we can go to see that he's present. How insane is it that they impose rules on themselves, and in the end, they cannot meet God other than through the temple and through priests and through. And then, when, because of all these things, they have, they have kings, these kings are selfish people who do stupid things, they are destroyed more than once, they are finally destroyed in 586, where the temple is destroyed, Jerusalem is destroyed, there is a king no more, now they are in far countries, and they ask, where is God? But why do they ask that? They ask that because the things that they made their faith about have been destroyed. How ironic is it that we make our faith, we, we change our faith to become about external things. And then when those external things are taken away, we are angry at God. Because they're angry at God. They say, but... We, you are supposed to be faithful, you're supposed to keep the king on the throne, and you're supposed to be, to keep the temple there. Where what, what, what has always been his promise, that he would be with them, and he would provide for them. And I want us to think about, in our lives, we might not have a king, and we might not have a temple, but what are those things? All of us have those things, that we tend to associate God's presence with. 
and his faithfulness with. In this, in this week ahead, I want you to think of and ask God to show you what are those things. And are they really from him or are they our ways of trying to make him understandable? Does that make sense? Then I want to move on to um, something that is beautiful about the character of God. And we see this in the story of the first king. Remember, these, <laughs> these kings' lives are complicated and long. Um, so we are never going to go through the whole of a king's life. Saul, the first king, is, has the shortest story and has still a few chapters. So that's why we encourage you to, in this time, start reading about the kings. Start in 1 Samuel, uh, because that's where you find the story of Saul. And uh, read through it with us. Uh, interesting, just a little side note. Um, if you've ever wondered why there's one and two kings and one and two chronicles, um, because one and two chronicles have the same content as one and two kings, so when you, when you read them and you start reading chronicles, you're like, this is, this is mostly the same, there's a little difference. What happened, um, as with any good historian, you have the person or persons who wrote one and two kings. You've got the person who reads it and says, but this is not what the essence of the story is about. So what does he do, he or she do? They write it again, but with a different focus. So in 1 and 2 Kings, you've got the story of the kings and what happens. In 1 and 2 Chronicles, he's trying to say, very much more explicitly, that it is not about God or God's faithlessness to Israel. It's about the king's faithlessness. That leads to all of these things. Okay, so that's why the, the, the history repeats itself. Um, and it's actually quite fun to go and read. I know fun and the Old Testament don't always go together. But it is quite fun to go and read the story in Kings and the story in Chronicles and see the difference, what the um, change in accent is. But okay, so Israel has said we want a king. It feels to me kind of like um, a toddler saying, I want a sweet. And mom explaining, no, but we're going to have dinner almost. We, we want you. And the toddler still being, I want a king. So he gives them a king. The beautiful thing is he selects the king. The king comes from the tribe of Benjamin, who I hope you know is the second. Um, Jacob only had two sons with Rachel. Joseph and Benjamin. So they were his two favorites because she was his favorite. And we know how Joseph's story turned out. <clears throat> but, so from the tribe of Benjamin, Saul is called. That we read in the text in one Samuel, he's a very tall guy. He's a head taller than all of the other Israelites. He's a strong and handsome guy. So he's our main man. Um, in today's world, he would be our action movie hero. And he's looking for donkeys when he meets up with Saul, with Samuel, to ask, okay, I heard you're a seer. I'm looking for my dad's donkeys. Can you help me? And Samuel tells him, the donkeys have been found. Don't worry about that. 
but you are the king of Israel. And he anoints him. And Saul's answer is, I think uh, maybe you should, you and, Dorf, you and God should talk about it again. Because I'm from Benjamin, we're the smallest tribe. And not just that, I, we are the least important family in Benjamin. And I'm the least important son of the least important family. So immediately there's self-doubt. But God says, no, through Samuel, you are the one that I've chosen. And he gives him a few things that will happen. As he goes home, A, B, C, and D will happen. As a sign of the fact that he has been chosen. And as he leaves and goes back, all of these things happen. And he will be the strong one who defeats the Philistines. Because remember, at this stage, you have different tribes in the different places. There is no big um, Jerusalem as the main city. So he goes home, and there is an attack. And he and his followers, they buy off the attack. And God says to them, and this is something, well, no, before, yes, yeah. Wait, let me just make sure. I've read this so many times the last few days. Yeah, so he meets him and he tells him, you are the one that is, um, you have been chosen. He goes back home. All of the things that happen, happens. Ah, yes, I did miss this part. To make it official, Samuel calls all of the tribes of Israel together. And he says, God has heard you. You will choose a king. I have brought you out of Egypt. I'm the one who has rescued you. Today you have rejected me and have asked me to give you a king. Very well then. Gather yourself before the Lord by tribes and clans. And as they gathered themselves, Samuel picked the tribe of Benjamin. And then he picks from the tribe of Benjamin the family of Matri. And the men of Matri come forward. And then he says, Saul, son of Kish, he is to be the king. And there's silence and crickets. Because there is no Saul, son of Kish to be found. They look for him. We know there is a Saul. Just wait, we're going to find him. But they couldn't find him. They asked the Lord, is there still someone else? The Lord answered, Saul is over there. Hiding behind the supplies. So they ran and brought him. And they say, here is the man that the Lord has chosen. And they shout, long live the king. And 11 of the 12 tribes think this is great. And one of the tribes thinks, this is our king. God might have said he's our king, but no, he's not our king. So they despise him. How? How beautiful a portrait of us as people is, is this. Saul, who has been chosen, who has had all of these, if you read the chapters, you have had, you said all of these things happen to him. I, I want to say, if all of these things that have happened, we would think, if all of these things have happened to me, has, then I would not doubt. Yet, when it comes to the big moment, it's too much. He can't do it. He hides. How often do we do that? 
But a king Nahash of Ammon comes, the tribe that did not like Saul as king um, go with that king, um, and they they want to give over to him, but Saul hears of this and he gets all of everybody together, all of the tribes of Israel together, and they fight. And they beat him. And Saul is proclaimed as king once again because he is strong. The, the tribe that, did, that doubted him said, no, we won't doubt you anymore. And then Samuel has a speech where he says, okay, so you've got your kingdom. I am on my way out. I want you to tell me if I've ever done anything wrong. Have I ever done anything to harm you, to harm others? And everybody says, no, no, Samuel, you are innocent. And then Samuel says, the Lord and the king he has chosen are witnesses today that you have found me to be completely innocent. This is in 1 Samuel 12. Yes, the Lord is our witness, they answered. Samuel continued, the Lord is the one who chose Moses and Aaron and who brought your ancestors out of Egypt. Now stand where you are and I will accuse you before the Lord by reminding you of all the mighty actions the Lord did to save you and your ancestors. When Jacob and his family went to Egypt and the Egyptians oppressed them, your ancestors cried to the Lord for help and he sent Moses and Aaron who brought them out of Egypt and settled them in this land. But the people forgot the Lord their God. And so he let the Philistines and the king of Moab and Sisera, commander of the army of the city of Hasor, fight against your ancestors and conquer them. Then they cried to the Lord for help and said, We have sinned because we turned away from you, Lord, and worshipped the idols of Baal and Astarte. Rescue us from our enemies and we will worship you. And the Lord sent Gideon, Barak, Jephthah, and finally me. Each of us rescued you from your enemies and you lived in safety. But when you saw that King Nahash of Ammon was about to attack you, you rejected the Lord as your king and said to me, We want a king to rule us. Now here is the king you chose. You asked for him, and now the Lord has given him to you. All will go well with you if you honor the Lord your God, serve him, listen to him, and obey his commands. And if you and your king follow him. But if you do not listen to the Lord but disobey his commands, he will be against you and your king. And then a, a wonderful thing happens it's the dry season and Samuel asks for a sign that if he prays for rain that it will rain where he stands as a symbol of the fact that Israel is guilty but in spite of the fact they are guilty in spite of the fact that they have rejected him he will still be their God he will still be with them he will still guide them if they listen to him and do what he asks. And it does happen in that way. How beautiful and how wonderful and how totally um, above us, above me, is God's grace and his graciousness with us. That he is rejected, even though he has done all of these things, I mean, in that, listen to that. He rescues them, he gives them the land. They start disobeying him. 
and they do things that make other people mad. It's not that God punishes them, it's that they do things that they're not supposed to do. They are under attack. They pray, God rescues them again. And yet they still want a king. And even though they want a king and he doesn't feel it's necessary, they give, he gives them a king. And he says, I will be faithful to you and your king as long as you do what I ask, as long as you follow me. And in this we have our two stories and a cycle which plays out because if you know the story of Saul, you'll know that he does listen initially, but every time he starts becoming unsure, when Samuel says, I will take seven days, and then I'll be at Gilgal and we can offer, and it's seven days and he isn't there yet, then what happens? Saul starts to panic and he makes an offering. And then Samuel arrives and says, why didn't you wait for me? When Samuel tells him that God sends him to destroy this nation and he has to destroy everything, what happens? His officers say, no, we can't, we can't, I mean, these cows and these sheep and the lamb and the, they're beautiful. So we should keep them. And we should keep the best wives and everything. So they keep them. And when Samuel comes and asks, why did you not do what the Lord says? What is Saul's answer? But we kept them as an offering. And so the cycle starts again. God gives. People doubt. They do stupid things. God, which God punishes them for, or they punish themselves for. Not punish themselves for, but they are put themselves in a bad situation which then leads them being harmed. And because of Saul's continued unfaithfulness, doubt, God says, okay, I'm not going to make the line of kings from the tribe of Benjamin. And so we know that David is chosen. David from the tribe of Judah, and his line then becomes the line of kings. But that we will talk about, Nick will talk about probably next week, wherever the Spirit leads him. What do I want us to hear? That oftentimes we create things in our own, in our faith that are not from God. And then when those things stop existing or are destroyed, we are mad at God when they shouldn't have been there in the first place. But the beauty and the wonderful grace of God that He continues in His relationship with us. Even though we make mistakes, even though we ask for things that we shouldn't, He might become irritated with us, which I think He doesn't become irritated enough. But he still says, I will still be with you. I will still guide you. I will still give you another chance and another chance. That is the beauty of the God we serve. And if we can learn anything from the life of Saul, let it be 
that even though things might not be happening the way we think it should or the way God said it would to still wait on God if we do not wait on God we make mistakes let's pray Lord God when we look at the lives of people so far removed from us it might be easy to think but what does this mean for us how can this be relevant for us and yet their lives are so very relevant because how often have we if we look back seen your faithfulness your guidance in our lives and yet when it comes to taking a leap of faith or waiting for your intervention we become impatient or fearful we doubt I ask that you forgive us for our doubt for our fear I ask Lord God that through your Holy Spirit you remind us to breathe to wait remind us to look back on how faithful you have been thank you that you are not like us thank you that you are holy other that when we become impatient and afraid you are ever true patient ever faithful thank you that your commitment to us never wavers your love for us never stops help us to remember that in this week ahead Lord God help us to start recognizing the things we put into our faith that don't need to be there and help us to start removing them so that in the end it is really only about you for you are all that we need we pray this in your name alone Jesus Christ the one who came to save us because we cannot save ourselves Amen <laughs>